0: 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. We're doing a a study on how to obtain fullness of power. We've looked at the power of the blood of Jesus, the power of the Word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. We're looking now at the power in the believer's life through prayer. And we'll end up uh, this, this study on the power of a surrendered life. But look with me, if you would, at 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. We know that that passage there is very familiar, especially verse 17. The Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But he talks about, by faith beholding the Lord, and as we behold the Lord, we're changed into His image. And that's an amazing thing. It's not just that we... Uh, you know, some, some, something else has taken place in our life. We know that God is working in our lives both to will and to do of His good pleasure, right? And, but it's beholding the Lord by faith. And we're talking specifically tonight about prayer. And that's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. The power that comes into the life of a believer through prayer. And it's in our prayer life and communion with the Lord that we, God kind of comes into focus is the best way I can put it. We see Him by faith uh, and we are able to fix our eyes upon Him and see Him clearly in His Word and in our times of prayer and everything else, you know, like the songs we sing, let, let everything else fade away, you know, our earthly distractions fade away. That is real, but it's by faith as we pursue the Lord, that those things and the, the things of this, this earth grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. And so that's something that, that the believer has the privilege to do. Does it say in Hebrews that we can come boldly before His throne of grace, that we can come into the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus Christ, that we may obtain mercy and, and uh, find grace to help in time of need or just in time? We can boldly come through Jesus Christ. That, that has to be a communion. That's a prayer life in a, in a time where we sit before the Lord. And y'all, power comes into our lives from that. Not just some weird kind of power, but the power of the Lord. We're strengthened. And the Bible says not only we're we strengthened, but as we behold Him in verse 18, we're changed into the same image that we're beholding by, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. It says you're sitting before the Lord. You think nothing's really happening. Something is happening by faith. God's working in us. And the more we focus upon the Lord, and the more we commune with the Lord, the more we're going to become like the Lord. And so that's very important. If you find yourself so busy and so distracted, hey, I've really been neglecting my prayer time lately, we need to, all of us need to get back to that prayer time. It happens. We drift, we come back. We drift, we come back. We want to spend less time drifting and more time staying, okay? Where we need to be, it has an effect upon our lives. It's not just, oh well, it didn't matter. I'll just catch up. Well, maybe we will catch up. I don't know exactly how that works, but I do know that when we're not with the Lord in communion with the Lord, our hearts get restless or more... uh, Likely to sin and fall into temptation, we don't have as much peace, and I don't believe we're growing in our in our Christ likeness nearly to the extent we could be if we were sitting before the Lord in prayer. And so I think the Word of God obviously uh, backs us up. I, you know, would agree with that statement. What we're going to talk about tonight specifically in prayer: How does prayer bring power? What is some of the ways it manifests itself? If you have a good, strong prayer life, or growing in your prayer life, what are some things you could expect to see in your life that are better? I think we would expect to see a lot of things better. Like I said, we're going to be more like Jesus. We're going to be uh, uh, in that intimacy with the Lord. I want us to I want us to turn in our Bibles and look at Acts chapter four. Now, this is after. The church had experienced this very quick, right after Pentecost, this this sudden explosion. And they were continuing steadfastly in prayer, the Apostles' Doctrine and so forth. The lame man was healed. What happened right after the lame man was healed? Besides 5,000 people getting saved, which was God's plan, the believers, Peter and John specifically, were, were persecuted begin to ramp up some persecution. Satan didn't like it. We know Satan's behind all of that. The Lord allowed it to happen, but it happened. And in the midst, in the face of Satan's opposition, God wants to show Himself strong. He doesn't want the believers to run around and get all scared and fret and say, look how strong the devil is. He knows that opposition's going to come. And He has the answer for that. And we're going to read this. Let's look at this in... uh, Acts 4, skip down to verse 23. We're going to read all the way through uh, through verse 33. 23 through 33. And being let go, this is Peter and John being let go by the religious council that threatened them not to preach in Jesus' name. To their own company, that was their church brothers and sisters, and reported all, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them and when they heard that they lifted up their voice to God with one accord what was the very first thing they did what was their response they didn't go see their city councilman they didn't go talk to a district whatever or the mayor or try to get some you know social advocacy advocacy group on their side they went to the Lord uh, of course you know I'm being joking a little bit, but a lot of times the first thing we will do is reach, you know, we feel like we've been mistreated. We've been wronged and we have rights. And look what's happened to me. The Lord knows we have rights, you know, but, but we also have Him. And so the first thing and the last thing He wants us to do is to call upon Him. And this is why the early church walked in such power. I believe this is why, for many reasons, but they were filled with the Holy Ghost and they trusted God. And all of these reasons kind of put together, but they were men and women of prayer. And they walked in power and they had the Lord, but they had only the Lord. You know what I mean? They didn't have uh, other, other means of help to back them up. And we do a lot of times, or we think we do. But actually, this is all we need. And they lifted up their voice to God, verse 24, with one accord, and said, Lord, Thou art God, which has made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. It's good when we pray to make God big. Not to make Him big, but to make Him big in our own estimation of Him. To see Him big. Because when we see Him big, uh, it's like Joshua and Caleb. and said Those giants in the, in the land of Canaan are like grasshoppers to us. They're bread for us, okay? And this is what's going on here. Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together, what, against the Lord and against His Christ. David said the same thing in the Psalms. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever they determined uh, thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants with all boldness that they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand. They weren't looking just for a place to hide. They had a place to hide and the place to hide was in Christ in in their retreat to the Lord. Okay, they were looking for the furtherance of the gospel. They were looking for the continuing of God's name and salvation and revival and the gospel being spread and God showing himself mighty. They weren't looking for a corner to hide in. And uh, the Lord is our hiding place. And so. Uh, Behold their threatenings and grant that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. they had already been baptized in the Holy Ghost. Now they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul neither said any of them that out of the things which he possessed was his own but they had all things common and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. We're just going to stop there. Look at verse chapter 5 Acts 5 verse 14. One more verse. Acts 5:14. And the believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes both of men and women. How do we have revival? How do we have to make a difference in our day? We don't need to join a church growth uh, seminar, book, uh, G twelve, anything like that. We need to be men and women of prayer. We need to be men and women that trust God and believe Him to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. We need to be men and women that are filled with the Holy Spirit, not only baptized in the Holy Spirit, but living a Spirit-filled life. If we are in the Spirit, Paul says that let us walk in the Spirit, let us live in the Spirit. And so this is what happened when they prayed for boldness and when they prayed for uh, God to do miracles and signs and wonders for the glory of Jesus Christ and to basically overcome their threatenings of the world. And the threatenings of the opposition. Uh, God's answer. God answered their prayer. The prayer was exactly what they had prayed. It was they were filled with the Holy Ghost. They stepped back out. They began to minister in His name with boldness, and signs and wonders were following. And the Lord added to the church daily, multitudes, both men and women. I don't see any reason. I don't know if you do. I don't see any reason why why that could not and should not be the same for today. I don't see it. I don't read through the Bible and get to some place in the epistles where there's a prophecy that says in 1800, this is going to stop. When the apostles die out, this is going to stop. You know what I mean? This is only for Israel, you know, or something like that. I don't see that because it's not there. Because the Lord says, go into all the world and preach this gospel. And these signs shall follow them that believe. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. And so that's the pattern. But we have to be people of prayer. We need to hear from God. Because when we go to the Lord in prayer, like we opened up in that scripture, we're changed into that same image as we behold him. When we go to the Lord in prayer by faith, we begin to see him. And just think of David going against the giant Goliath when the giant was huge and Saul and all the, the armies of Israel were afraid. And when this man Goliath would come out, his voice would thunder and he would blaspheme God and he would ridicule God and he would ridicule the people of God and they shaked in their boots because of how big the giant was. But David didn't shake in his boots because of how big the giant was. But because, because compared to the Lord... The giant was a grasshopper, a flea, okay? But this, this takes place when we have a communion with the Lord. You understand what I mean? David, he wasn't just singing pretty songs as a shepherd boy, out on the hillside playing a harp. He was singing pretty songs and meditating on God. And he spent his hours and hours and hours meditating upon the Lord. But that's prayer. That's part of prayer meditating upon the Lord. And what is man that thou art mindful and him when I consider the heavens and the work of thy hands? And you know what I'm saying? Consider that. Consider the bigness of God who could speak all our creation into existence in six literal 24-hour days. And then when he's finished, set back and say, it's finished, it's good. Behold, it's very good. When we start to see God like that, then the troubles vanish Okay? And this is a secret, it's not a secret, but a secret that the early church had and knew. Okay? They didn't think twice about it. They retreated to the Lord, instantly retreated to the Lord. And uh, they lifted up their voice to God. God heard them. Uh, do you desire power in your ministry, in your Sunday school class, when you teach the kids, or when you teach up here? Do you desire power in your witness to your family? Or your testimony for Christ in the workplace? Or to your school friends? Do you desire power in that? If you're getting ready to share and I've asked you to open in prayer, or you're going to be the one teaching in the nursing home uh, in a couple of weeks. If we desire that, we have to go to the Lord and get that power, so to speak. He, He has it to give. We go to the Lord. Amen? And He gives that. We go to the Lord in prayer. Men ought always to pray and not what? Faint. So both of those things, we always should do this, we never should do that. We should always pray and we should not faint. I can be honest with you, many times I've felt like fainting. Here recently, there's been things in my life where I felt like fainting and I felt faint. I'm not talking about like, oh, you know, I'm going to pass out. I felt faint. I felt like I needed the Lord to strengthen me. I felt like, okay, I'm not going to quit being a Christian, but there's times you don't want you wonder if you're going to continue to pursue wholeheartedly. And I think that's the temptation it can be for believers. None of us would say, you know, I'm just chucking the towel and go, just I just want to go to hell. You know, <clears throat> nobody wants to do that. We believe, you know, but there's times we feel faint. And the Bible says they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Cause, 'Cause so we know, and the Bible tells us there are going to be times we need our strength renewing. He knows that. I don't think we just stay on a, that platform, I'm on a, that plateau, I guess you would say, all the time. There are peaks and valleys. But I think we can stay in that in, in that the, the little valleys would be a lot shorter. Not that the trials we go through would be shorter, that's up to God. But that our weakness in the faith. And are feeling faint and wanting to quit. And God, I just want to give up. That should be shorter and shorter. That should be less and less. Because with God, there's great hope. There's great mercy. And as soon as I remind myself of that, kick myself in the rear. I know you can't physically do that, but uh, remind yourself of that, then you're encouraged. We, we, We get our eyes back on the Lord very quickly. And uh, there's a couple of testimonies that Tory gives here, and he talks about there was a young man who was not um, a good public speaker. That wasn't their thing. They haven't hadn't been asked to speak a Christian, you know, in a Christian circles very much at all. But this person was asked to be a, the the main speaker at a, uh, the Trenton Temple in Boston, and so he's. He gets up there and nobody really knew. Somebody had asked him to speak. And, and everybody who was anybody was at this conference, at this meeting. Tons of people, but besides just tons of people, the people that were there were like the who's who in politics, the who's who in the, in the clergy, and the ministry, and, and so forth. And as this young man began to, to minister and share his heart from the Word of God, uh, there was just a hush that came over the crowd. People were moved. People were brought to tears. People were touched. It was a real work of God, not just an emotional thing. It says only a few people really knew the secret to that. Why? Why did that take place? How is it that that took place? Well, this young man was a man of prayer. And he had spent the night before. Well, he didn't sleep. He spent the whole night in prayer seeking God for this meeting. That was the answer to it. That was the power behind it. You can say, Jesus was the power, amen. The Holy Spirit was the power. The Word of God was the power. The anointing was the power. But how did He have it? How was it in His life? How did it come through His ministry at that time? It came through His life and ministry because He needed it to come through His life and ministry. And He called upon the Lord for His great need. And God answered. And it's simple, but it's true. We have not because we ask not. The Bible says. And so uh, the, the, uh, the the life of prayer brings that to life. John, Jonathan Livingston, we know the missionary to Africa, right? He had done the same thing. He was go- going to be speaking in, in a big conference the next day. And he got a group of like-minded believers together and they prayed through the night and sought the Lord and he preached. And he preached with such great anointing. Not unusual what he said, but there was a great authority and power to his life and and to that message. And uh, it's, it's said that at least 500 people traced back or marked that sermon and that moment to when they came to know the Lord. 500 people that went on to serve God and live for God, they look back at that sermon, at that meeting from Jonathan Livingston is when they either got saved or when they really got touched them and called them into the ministry or did some profound work in their life. Where did the power come from? It came from God. How did Jonathan Livingston get it in his life? Through prayer. We have not because we ask not. And... Um, there was a mother that came to R. A. Tori. He was a pastor and a minister, and she said, "My children are so uh, rebellious. I can't control them. They're out of control. What do I? What can I do?" He gave her one answer: pray. Well, it's not that she had never prayed before. You'd imagine she had prayed, but she obeyed. She listened to what he said. She prayed with a faith, and she prayed with an earnestness and a and a laying hold of God they wouldn't take no for an answer. And she said the change in her children came almost instantly and it continued until the day of the writing of this book. God answered that prayer. I'm sure she had prayed before, Lord, save my children. Lord, help my children. Nothing wrong with that, but the answer was not going to be found somewhere else. You need to pray. And she prayed with a new earnestness in uh, in her prayer life. And she received the answer to that, to, to what she so desperately needed. You could fill in the blank of what the need is. You have needs in your life. Amen. I know that I have them in my life. The answer is going to be from God. We know it's from the Lord. But how does it come to me? It comes to me as I pray. Men, ought always to pray and not to faint. This is our message tonight. It's going to be, um, we're not straying far from this thought. Not only when we pray does it strengthen us in our ministry, but y'all, we have we have the privilege of affecting other people in our prayer lives, other people and other ministers. You can pray for someone halfway across the world, and God hears your prayers and ministers to them. We have, you know, uh, missionaries that we know of or missionary friends that we support. Of course, Emily Wilson here in our church, but our prayers for her makes a difference. It makes a difference. I think about when Peter was put in prison. I think James had been beheaded, and then, and then uh, they took they took Peter and put him in prison, and they were gonna uh, execute him after I forgot what the, the holiday was or the feast day, and but prayer was made for him. And the church was praying for Peter. And they were praying all through the night. The believers were gathered together. They didn't just say a prayer, Lord, help Peter. They got together and prayed and sought the Lord. And they prayed through the night. And the Lord. That's when the Lord opens the prison, and the fir- first door opens, and the second prison door opens. And the angel, and and Peter's kind of wondering if it's a dream. It's the middle of the night, and before he knows it, he's standing out in the street, and the, and he's like putting his tie and his shoes on. And the angel says, "You know, get going now. Uh, you know, set you free." And Peter goes and knocks on the door where they were praying for him, and they can hardly believe it themselves. And the, and he kept knocking on the door. So they let him in. Even when they said, it's Peter. They said, oh, you're crazy. Well, they were praying for Peter to be released. And he was released. I'm just thinking about how our prayer not only uh, brings power into our lives, it brings the working of the Lord into other people's lives as well. And uh, there's a couple of just examples here about revival that I wanted to mention. You know, a lot of times... We pray for revival, and it doesn't come because maybe our heart's not right, or maybe there's some division. There's something that the Lord's wanting to deal with first. He wants to bring revival, okay? The kind we read about, the kind we read about in the Bible, and the kind we hear about in our country and in the Welsh revivals in different places. The Lord wants to do that. But a lot of times there could be division, strife, heresies, quarrel, and bickering, Uh, worldliness, all kinds of things in our lives. Well, where is that going to be dealt with? God wants to bring the revival. It's going to be dealt with in prayer. Uh, It's it's going to it's going to be dealt with when we seek the Lord and God begins to show us our own heart. And two brothers in the church, for example, that have this division or this strife, God, they humble themselves before the Lord and it's it's fixed. Well, that's like the beginning of revival. That's like the spark of it, where it comes. And I think a lot of times we over, overlook that. We're praying for something and we're not seeing it because maybe we're not doing the things He's already told us to do. You get your house in order, starting with me, starting with Randy, okay? And you starting with you. And then our church house is clean and in order. And then God's speaking <coughs> to all of us and there's no strife and division and so forth. But there were some, uh, some stories here that Tory was telling. Uh, Dr. Spencer, in one of his books about uh, just his life, he talked about how a great revival was brought down upon his church by the prayers of one old man who was a godly old man who he just set himself to pray for. It. In other words, he was lame. He couldn't get out of the house and he, he stayed in his house and prayed. And he prayed for revival. Shut up in his room. And God sent it. And this pastor was sharing it was one of the greatest revivals he had been part of. How did it come? The prayers of one man that determined to lay hold on the Lord. I don't get personally get tired of hearing stories like this. Real life stories like this. I have two more. In Philadelphia, during the pastorate of Dr. Thomas Skinner, it says three men of God came together in his study to pray. And they literally, the pastor said, wrestled in prayer. So these three men, that were part of this pastor's church, got together in the pastor's study, and they wrestled in prayer. And from this prayer meeting of these three men, determined to do it. Okay, there has to be this faith that it almost like stirs you to do it in the first place. I don't think you just attempt it, well, it didn't work. I think we're afraid. I am sometimes afraid. What if I try and it really doesn't work? God's always going to work. We have to know by faith this is His will. And we need to lay hold on God that He is the same yesterday and today and forever. And I'm not letting go until I get an answer. And this is where we see the great... He speaks about the great revival in Philadelphia that came about. uh, One of the greatest, that city had ever known. It was widespread and it lasted for a long time. Mr. Finney, Charles Finney, said the same thing. He had prayer warriors that went before it, but specifically he said there was the prayers of one humble woman who had never even seen revival. She had heard about it and had let God lay it on her heart to pray for it. So she hadn't seen it, but God put it on her heart, I want you to pray for it. And this humble, older woman began to pray for it and revival came. We read about the revivals, but we need to know how they came about. Preaching of the Word, yes, absolutely. Uncompromising Word of God. But it seems to me they all started in prayer. In earnest prayer. Effectual, fervent prayer. And one of the greatest needs of our hour is not just revival, but one of the greatest needs in our lifetime, in our day, as men and women of prayer who will determine to pray and who will get with God and not take no for an answer. In other words, pray until. Okay? And I thought this is a good quote. Uh, there have been times in the past great revivals without much preaching and without much, he calls it machinery. So there have been great revivals that didn't have, didn't have a lot of preaching and didn't have a lot of maybe what I'll call organization or, or publicity. He says, but there have never, there has never been a great and true revival without much prayer. So just I, I just want to say it again. There have been great revivals without much preaching, but there has never been a true and great revival without much prayer. True and earnest prayer. That's, that's God's way. We have not, because we ask not. Even Paul, you know, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing those letters to the to the churches, he was asking for their prayers. If you'll notice, I think in all but one, he asked the churches at you know Ephesus and Philippi and so forth to pray for him, pray for me, pray for me, and um, maybe maybe we don't realize the effect that our prayers so that we can have through prayer on our own pastor okay our sunday school teachers or the worship team or an evangelist or you know we think well that's that's his business you know he'll sure he'll get prepared and ready or she'll get prepared and ready but paul was asking people to pray for him he was a minister he was the apostle to the gentiles There's none like him. He had a unique call, a unique ministry. It's hard to compare anyone to his ministry that he had that God called him to, but he was asking for believers to pray for him. Pray that a door will be open. Pray that I'll walk through it. Pray that God would deliver me from an unreasonable men and men who have no faith. Pray, you know, just he mentioned some of the prayers, but he was asking prayer for the believers. And I think... You may not realize the effect that your prayers can have on, you know, your pastor, as I said, or some some other minister of the gospel here or halfway around the world. But we see it in the Bible, you know. As again, the church was praying here; Peter's in prison over here. It had an effect. God answered their prayers, and God sent an angel and opened up the prison doors and got Peter out. Um, these revivals that we looked at that came about by by praying. And so we need to understand that the power of prayer um, really doesn't have a limit. The limit would be, is it God's will? Okay? And again, we'll know that by praying. And we'll know it by the Word of God. What His will is. And then His timing, of course. But I think... And I know Smith Wigglesworth said it. I've said it many times. God's more willing to answer than we are to ask. And I just know that that's true. I know that's true. We we have not because we ask not. And I'm just going to close with this, y'all. We're finishing this section on on prayer tonight. But I pray that we did a whole book on Chadwick Chadwick's book on prayer, the pathway to prayer. Right? We've talked a lot about uh, prayer, and we'll talk a lot more about prayer. We're finishing this section in this book on prayer tonight. But I pray that, that we would grow in our prayer lives. I pray that we would understand the power that can, that comes in answer to prayer. Everything that God has is at our disposal. And it comes to us as we call upon Him. Right? Ask and you'll receive. Seeking, you'll find. Knock and it shall be open. If we can give, and we're evil, sinful people, if we know how to give bread to our son that asks, that's hungry, how much more will our Heavenly Father give good things? It says in Matthew and in Luke in the same passage, it says give the Holy Ghost to them that ask Him. He knows how to give. He gives to who? To them that ask Him. Why is it that, that His way? It's just that's His way. He wants wants to be involved. He wants us to be in communion with Him. That His power is not detached from Him. You know what I'm saying? There's not power just for power's sake. There's part part of the whole scheme is intimate fellowship with the Lord that comes through prayer. And as we sit before the Lord in prayer, we're with Him. We're with the Lord. And when we're with the Lord... We're being changed into His image. And we're with the Lord. We feel such a strength and a comfort and a peace. And He's imparting things to us and speaking to us and leading us and guiding us and giving us our Sunday school lesson and giving us our sermon and empowering us for the day that lies ahead and for the day, the spiritual age in which we live in. It's going to come to us through through prayer, but it's not detached from God where He throws something over there to you. But otherwise, He's uninterested in us and we're uninterested in Him. It's going to come through communion with the Lord as we walk with the Lord. That's when we're filled with the Spirit and and renewed and so forth. So there's mighty power that comes uh, in prayer. And the one who's not going to take time to pray, the Christian who's not going to take time to pray and to pray consistently, Consistently, he might as well just forget uh, the the thoughts of having any real success in his life or ministry or his personal growth. It's just not going to happen. It's not saying they're not saved. But if somebody says, you know, I'm too busy studying to to pray. I'm too busy uh, visiting people in the hospital to pray. I'm too busy street evangelizing to pray then you can just forget you're probably not going to see the fruit at all that God wants to bring through your life we need to reel it back in get first things first take your time with God and then let your ministry flow out of that let your teachings flow out of that let your singing flow out of that your ministry to the children your witness and let it all come out of your prayer life. All out of your relationship and your intimacy with God. David is such a good example of that. I know he's an Old Testament saint, but still, it's hard to think of anybody that was more intimate with the Lord. I mean, God chose him to write those 150 psalms, basically, that we read. And you see in his psalms, he wasn't writing stories that someone told him about. He was writing from his own intimacy with the Lord. First-hand knowledge. Revelation of the Holy Spirit of God. He wrote about God. He sang back to God. He praised the Lord. And, and then who was used so greatly? David. To kill Goliath. To the to, to victory over the Philistines and so forth. God used him. The, the, the ministry is going to flow out of your intimacy with God. And so, just uh, receive that tonight. I know that you know it, but remind yourself of that tonight. Let the Lord remind you of that tonight. And I'm going to let Him do the same for my, my life. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Wait upon the Lord. It takes time. That's why the word wait is there. You know? And that can be the hard part. It doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to be miserable. But there is a waiting. And it can take discipline sometimes. It can't take me waiting by faith until, uh, until I feel like the Lord's really moving in my heart or speaking to me or giving me understanding of that passage of Scripture or empowering me to go out and witness or I'm getting ready to speak to the youth group and, and I'm waiting on the Lord. You know, until I receive. But that is the one that's, whose strength is renewed. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And I'm, I'm this is finished tonight for this uh, sermon. This message. We'll move on next week. But can we take just a, a few moments, y'all, to call upon the Lord in prayer? To maybe uh, come before the Lord and ask Him to strengthen you in your prayer life. To come before the Lord and ask Him, say, Lord, I need my strength renewed. And His answer to you and me is going to be, you need to learn to wait on me. I'll teach you to wait on me. Okay? But wait on me before you get up and run and go do. Would you just come and be with? Come be with me. And take that time, not daydreaming and say, I'll spend an hour in prayer. But coming before the Lord, meditating upon Him and calling upon Him, That's where power is going to come to our lives. Amen? Pray for our church. Pray for each other. Pray for revival in our land. Pray for revival in our own hearts. And God's going to begin to do that. He may do it in some way we didn't think He was going to do it, but I believe He'll do that in answer to prayer. Amen?